listening to Open Mic Friday on this October the 25th in the year of our Lord 2019. It's Law and Gospel. I'm Tom Baker. And you can fool me with any theological question on your mind. We spend every day this week talking about the Reformation. And so if you're in St. Louis, the number is 821-0850. Or anywhere in North America, including St. Louis, 1-800-730-2727. Probably a good thing to write on your refrigerator. 1-800-730-2727. And you don't necessarily need to be talking about the Reformation or a question. You may have a different question for this Open Mic Friday. Just want to remind you of our conversation we had with Wes Reimnitz yesterday, an article by a Professor Runia, where he was basically talking about what is the essential character of the Reformation. If you want to remember anything about the Reformation, what is it? And we spoke about his conclusion that the main item was a rediscovery of the gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Now, he made a distinction I want to just elaborate on a little bit because it's Sounds kind of strange. He was saying, it's just not a matter of true doctrine, but the Reformation was concerned of the very heart of the gospel itself. Now, isn't the gospel a part of doctrine? True doctrine? So what's the difference he's trying to make? Well, one of the distinctions I often make is between historic faith and saving faith. You can not only have the Bible memorized, but you can believe all the historical events in the Bible, including Christ's miracles, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and still not be saved. Because that is not saving faith. That's something even the devils have. They know that the historical events in the Bible are correct, and that certainly doesn't save them. What is saving faith is trust in the promises connected to the historical events of the Bible. And we've been saying that for some time. And this particular author indicated a good summary of those promises are found in the solas, the onlys, the alones, only by grace, only Christ, only through scripture, and only on account of faith are we saved. Now, he goes on, and we didn't get to this yesterday too much, pure doctrine as important as it is, is primarily a matter of the intellect. In fact, he says, if this had been Luther's main concern, 
they would have been a place for him within the Roman Catholic system. Because the Roman Catholic Church is so wide that it does leave room for the most diverging views and conceptions. Uh, For example, you may think that the Bible teaches creation, or you may think the Bible teaches or allows for evolution. In Roman Catholic theology, that is not a problem. It doesn't matter what you think is the doctrine, because that's your feeling and that's where your faith is. But for Luther and other reformers, the author talks about that this did not make a difference between an existential matter of life and death. And I use the example of Jesus on the road to Emmaus when the disciples are really confused about why Jesus died and did he really rise from the dead? Does he come back to get even with us for deserting him or whatever reason? He then begins to talk between Genesis and the end of the Bible. And he doesn't say something like, well, let me give you the evidence why creation is superior to evolution. Let me give you the evidence that Abraham was a real person, as well as David and Solomon. Uh, Let me give you the evidence of the distinctions in the people of Israel when they divided into the tribes of Israel and the tribes of Judah. He, He doesn't talk that way at all. What he does, he begins with Genesis to show everywhere he is found in the Old Testament, where Jesus is found with his promises. So that you don't even have to get to verse 3 of Genesis 1, and God said, let there be light. Guess what? That's Jesus. Because according to the first chapter of the gospel, according to St. John, nothing was created that was not created by Jesus Christ in his pre-incarnate state. And then the wonderful promise given to Adam and Eve after their sin that through Eve would come a Savior, a Messiah. See, that's much more important than just saying, well, I believe in the doctrine that God came to Adam and Eve and said these things. No, when he's saying these things, he's giving comfort and true hope because it is impossible for a human being to get rid of their sin or to pay for it. So God in Christ came and did that for them. Now, we didn't get into the purpose of why this gentleman had written this article, but he sees a lot of ecumenical encounters. What does that mean? Well, there are churches talking with one another. And there's even some churches talking with sects or those who have idols like Muslims, etc. And he says that's where the Reformation is important. When we talk about true Christianity with other religions, we need to make it an issue of life and death for their people. 
because the very same gospel which was rediscovered in the days of the Reformation is still the only true gospel. The acceptance or rejection of means life or death. So this is what is important in preaching and teaching. When I do confirmation, for example, yes, it's important that the catechism is memorized by those being catechized, the youth. In fact, the Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne has just made a new change in their curriculum. They used to have a course on the catechism, and during that course, the students were to make sure that they memorized the small catechism. But the course isn't that long, and it's not that easy to memorize the whole catechism, especially if you're new to it, that some of the students were. So the change they've made is that they have lengthened the time that the catechism can be memorized, and that's very helpful. I remember I did not like... Professor William Schmidt, who was teaching homiletics once, and I took the course because I had a lot of respect for his knowledge. He's since passed from this veil of tears to heaven. But during the course, the first thing he mentioned is that he expected the students to have the catechism memorized and we would be tested on it. Well, I didn't like that idea at all. I, I knew it pretty well, but remember there's three or four translations, and fortunately we could choose the translation which we wanted. I, I can't tell you how important that has been for me, that often I will be talking about maybe a commandment, and I'm able to tell you what Luther's explanation is. And that's really important, because... It's not often what people expect. Like, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Everybody expects that Luther's going to be talking about not working on the Sabbath. But he doesn't. We should fear and love God that we do not despise preaching and his word, but gladly hear and learn it. Now, where does that come from? Well, we need to remember the Sabbath was a day of rest, and therefore, how do we best rest as did Adam and Eve? Remember, they would walk and talk with God in the Garden of Eden. And that's very important that we do that also. So to remember that day of rest means to take time during the week and rest in worship, listening to God's word. That's very important that that becomes the existential or the real purpose of teaching even the commandments. Yes, we use them as law to expose our sin, but we also thank God that they are information as to what his will is. So that was a very, very big Reformation thought. If you want to call me, just dial 
1-800-730-2727. Now, what we need to realize is this gospel needs to be the message as found in both Bible studies and in sermons. So many sermons today, to me, sound like lectures on doctrine. That's not a proper sermon. Some preachers, if you turn to other radio stations that aren't Lutheran, will actually be quoting what the Bible says, say about what Jesus did in the feeding of the 5,000. Let's use that as an example. And they will talk about that they sat down in grass and the disciples were really, well, we don't have enough money to feed all these people. What are we going to do? And then Jesus says, well, this little boy has some fish and some bread. And guess what? With that, he feeds 5,000 men, not even counting the women and children. And people wonder, Okay, what's the point? Well, the point is, according to that sermon, that God will take care of you in giving you your needed bread, which you pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, as well as remembering the promise he takes care of you better than the birds in the air and the flowers in the field. But that isn't the point of the feeding of the 5,000. In fact, the people who were fed jumped to the conclusion that Jesus was a bread king. And so they followed him. He had to actually flee from them because they wanted to make him a ruler over bread, thinking that he had come uh, to the promised land for the purpose of restoring Israel to its former grandeur and getting rid of the Romans, and providing plenty of bread, etc. But Jesus says, he himself says, you know, you saw the sign, you saw the miracle, but you missed the sign. Now, there the word sign has a double meaning. On the one hand, it can be a miracle, which it was. Few fish, few bread, fed over 5,000 people. But what's the second understanding of the word sign? When you see a sign, it's giving you an indication of the purpose of the sign. So if I'm going down the street and I go by a sign and it has 35 on it, and a policeman pulls me over because I'm going 50 miles an hour, and he says, didn't you see the sign? And you say, well, yeah, I saw it said 35. I didn't know if that was a population of the city or how much gas was. No, everybody knows that means how many miles per hour you're supposed to go. Well, that's what happened with the feeding of the 5,000. They missed the sign. They missed the purpose of it. And Jesus explained it. He said that miracle was done to demonstrate that I am the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. That's one of the things that the Messiah, the Christ, 
the same word in the Greek, was to do. And so that's kind of important that we just don't speak a sermon and say what happened. We have to also give an understanding of what happened. And that understanding comes about by explaining the meaning of the text. Okay, if you want to call me, 1-800-730-2727. And we're going to go to the phone lines right now and speak with David. Hi, David, you're on the air. Hi, I'm doing my annual... uh calling in a weekly call to you. So Excellent. Uh, I, I, I missed half your broadcast yesterday. I didn't know what it was about. And I usually have a question pertaining to the previous uh, day, like yesterday. Sure. But um, I wanted you to comment on something I read. It, it's kind of funny, but it, it, it talks about atheists that... Um, if they really wanted to get rid of Christians, if they if they would just all kind of put them on one huge room and shut the door, they would all kill themselves or kill each other. <laughs> it, it, it's it's kind of funny, but it it is kind of bringing out the fact that um, Christianity is divided and subdivided into different sects, churches, et cetera. Well, um, I've been in the, you know, ministry for many, many years. I talked with Roman Catholics, Presbyterians, Methodists, Baptists, other Christians, and not once have I ever been threatened by being put to death. So I don't know what he's talking about. He's probably giving an understanding that, like in some countries, the Irish, you know, the Protestants versus the Roman Catholics, this kind of thing. But that's true about almost any vocation. Uh, Look at how uh, some unions, when they wanted to go on strike, were fighting and actually uh, persecuting uh, the employers, etc. So that happens just in, if you put a whole bunch of atheists together, I could say the same thing, but it wouldn't be any more true than what he had said. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I I seem to have a propensity for making people like when when I will talk to people either somewhat debate or talk about issues. I'll give, I'll give you an example. Like I was at a Presbyterian church for a while, and um, we came up subject came up by baptism. Yes, and they disagreed with. Like, they don't look at baptism as essential, or you should be baptized. Um, I was actually told to leave their church. They said, well, we think it's better if you just find somewhere else to go. And I could place that with the article, because it's like when you kind of push people on certain issues, whether they're Catholics or Presbyterians, they somewhat get mad at you and tell you to hit the road, so to speak. You know who that reminds me of? 
Jesus and the apostles, maybe. Very good. Exactly. <laughs> they were telling him to leave. The, in fact, anybody who said they believed in Jesus were, in a sense, excommunicated from the synagogue. Uh, the word is ekbalo. They were thrown out of the synagogue like that man born blind in John chapter 9. So you're in good company. Well, that's what I thought. My wife my wife told me that she said, "Hon, you have a tendency of making people upset." And I said, "I don't know why." I said, um I said, "I guess I'm in good company because Jesus made a lot of people mad and so did the apostles to where they were martyred eventually." But I I notice when you bring up certain issues with people, I don't know what it is. It's just it's it gets into a uh, debate and then a contention. Well, I'll give you a Bible verse that should be helpful in talking to your wife, too, about this. Is okay. There was another man who was really getting people angry with him. His name was Moses. He had brought the people through the Red Sea into the Promised Land, and then they didn't have water, or they didn't have bread, or they didn't have meat. And so they started blaming Moses for bringing them to die in the wilderness when they could have stayed in Egypt. And remember what Moses said? He said, you're not getting mad at me. You're getting mad at God. Yeah. And see, that's really when a person does not have faith to believe such an obvious thing as the importance of baptism That is really an anger directed toward God. And in light of the fact that God puts you between him and them in offering the gospel and the forgiveness of sins, he also puts you between him and them in receiving the persecution that the Sermon on the Mount reminds us is going to happen when we speak the word of God purely. Right. And, and this doesn't happen all the time, of course, but it seems like there's a tendency there. Um, so I, I feel better about it. I'm, uh, sometimes I was thinking, is there something wrong with me? Or uh, Well, in my Lutheran church, I had a individual who wanted to join, but he believed in evolution. And so yeah. we began talking with him. I didn't say you can't come to church. I encouraged him to go to church. In fact, I put him in touch with one of my members who was a tremendous individual on creation, and he was able to convince them otherwise. But had he joined the church, I still would not have let him teach Sunday school or a Bible class. But I I tell you, there's nobody in my church that didn't have some false doctrine somewhere, uh, including even pastors, because it takes a while to get to know everything in the Bible. And time and time again, I'll be reading somebody like uh, Dr. James Veltz, a good friend of mine, and say, boy, I didn't realize that. What a good point he's making. So we're yeah. always learning, and uh, we just should not be getting mad at God for what is his pure word. Right. Well, thank you so much, Pastor John. Thank you. And thank you so much for calling. Yeah, that is a problem that we really find. I'm going to be unable to take any more calls at this time. We're near the end of the program. But it's not at all unusual that people are going to get angry at you. What are the two things at a Thanksgiving meal that people say you shouldn't talk about? Politics and religion. (laughs) Yeah. But... 
Jesus was able to speak about religion at meals, but those were at meals where people were really interested and wanting to hear what he had to say. But when he went to his own hometown of Nazareth, and they had heard, wow, he's been doing all kinds of miracles in Capernaum, then they began to hear that he said he was a fulfillment of the Isaiah passage as the Messiah, and he wanted to do miracles. They got angry with him. They wanted to throw him off a cliff. But the Bible says he just kind of walked through them, and they were unable to do that. So we're in good company if we're properly teaching the Word of God and get persecuted. We were following Moses, many of the prophets, some of whom were killed, and even Jesus and the apostles, all of whom were martyred, except for John on the island of Patmos. So thanks so much, David, for that question. On Monday's Law and Gospel, we just kind of spent a week talking about the Reformation. Well, the following Sunday is going to be All Saints Day. What does that mean, All Saints Day? We'll talk about that on Monday and give you some insight from one of the passages that we'll be reading. I'm Tom Baker then. Until then, God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962.